You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking with Balaru Ligdin. He's the founder and executive director of Asia Leadership Development Network. Balaru, thanks for being on the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the Asia Leadership Development Network? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're relatively a small, uh, new organization. Uh, we started uh, in 2016, uh, and then 2000, since 2017, we've been in operation uh, over the years. In last probably four years, you know, we've done 18 different projects. Uh, primarily, our vision is to basically work with uh, Mongolian people group. Uh, that's where we serve and all around the world. And uh, I would say, um, you know, we started with the mindset of a, almost like a, a, a startup minded incubator kind of, you know, uh, ministry. So um, we we didn't know what exactly how we can, you know, address some of the issues that we're caught to do. But uh, over the last you know, four years, we learned a lot and with uh, some projects succeeded and some didn't go well and some took off big time. And uh, over the years, we got to uh, really understood who we are and how we can uh, uh, be part of the kingdom work, um, not only in Mongolia, but also beyond. Mm. Now, flesh that out a little bit more. You said us kind of act as a startup incubator. So what does that kind of look like in practice? Yeah. So um, basically, you know, there's you step, you know, kind of you look back when we started, we have, you know, we basically started with my own, you know, passion. There's an area I'm, I'm passionate about my country and passionate about what God is doing and allowed me to be part of that. But where do I start? How do I strategically, you know, uh, not only use my gift and talents and my network and resources towards that? You know, sometimes that's a, a really big question. It has to start some somewhere. But then I don't want to just start one area, but there's multiple area. I really feel like, hey, I, I want to, you know, have there's some problems and uh, discontent and I see it and I feel like maybe it can uh, be a solution for that. That include, you know, we started, actually when we started, we we, we saw uh, in, in our community, church is very young and, particularly the young pastors, most of the first-generation young pastors, uh, they're under 30 years old and 35 years old, and uh, 70 80% of them I talked to, they never had a mentor. And so they went through a lot of brokenness and loneliness and leadership journeys, difficult for them. Uh, they're first generation, so their parents and no one ahead of them have walked this journey. So we decided to, hey, what can we do to help these young pastoral leaders to Maybe have a holistic kind of growth journey. Uh, how what can we provide them around you know mentorship and community and accountability and so on? 
So that's where we started. But then soon, sooner or later, we realized, hey, there's other things we can do too, including working with the youth, working in technology space, working in publishing, but then also growing into like marketplace, you know, working in entrepreneurship, coding academy, and so on. It's just, uh, it's been a wild journey. Yeah, that's kind of grown all over the place, huh? That's right. And how did you get your start in ministry? Like, like, how has your past experience maybe helped prepare you for this role? Yeah. So my story goes back to mid-90s. Um, I was uh, studying in high school in northern part of China in a province called Inner Mongolia. It's uh, primarily a Mongolian people. It's an ethnic school that I went to and... Um, that's where I, I, you know, first of all, I accepted Jesus there at my school and through my teachers and so on. Uh, but my early days of experience, ministry experience was basically college student ministry. I did house church planting and college student ministry all the way until my kind of mid, almost, you know, 24, um, um, 24 years old. And then I came to America as an international student, uh, got my business degree and during school, I was involved in international student ministry. And uh, post-graduation, I worked for a medical technology firm and uh, learned about marketplace and learned about work and faith and business and so on. So I guess, you know, at this season, if you look at it, uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful I'm, God prepared me this way yeah. and grateful that God kind of uh, not only using my ministry skills, but also using my business skills, integrating both of them and try to find my kind of this season of calling. How do I live on my live out of my sweet spot and you know give back to my community, but also being used by God. Mm. That's always cool to see and hear the stories of how the Lord kind of prepares people for something specific. Whether you're landing on what you're doing at thirty or forty or fifty, like the past, He takes your past experiences and it's cool right. inner it's interwoven until come out at whatever age. Hey, uh, God, God will not waste those, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so cool. That's awesome. Um, I want to transition a little bit. Can you share some of the exciting stories? Maybe pick one or two that are coming out of Mongolia right now. One of the coolest thing about my uh, mother country or my homeland that is uh, probably among Christian community, a very well-known story I- I'd love to share here is uh, 30 today is 2021. Uh, so 31 years ago, 1990, uh, our, as a people group as a whole, you know, 10 million Mongolian speaking people around the world were considered unreached and unchurched people group. You know, if you are long enough in a mission world, you probably heard of that term. Basically, there's no identified, you know, uh, native language speaking believers, no identified, uh, Bible is not available in our own language and then no available church. Uh, who uh, Christians can go to. Uh, so 1990, that's when I think uh, that part of the world we're from is a huge socioeconomical and geopolitical change, uh, which is uh, uh, Soviet Union collapsed. And when Soviet collapsed, you know, the doors of these, um, uh, uh, you know, alliance or all the stand countries, Ukraine, name it, all the countries, East Europe started opening up to the world first time. And then it's almost like 1990. Mongolia was like almost today's North Korea. No one have been there and really don't know much about this mysterious place. And uh country opened up in 1990. And uh, of course, you know, uh, a young 
democracy started, free markets started, uh, gospel of Jesus Christ also came, you know, all of that all came during that few years. And then uh, uh, imagine, you know, young people respond to that kind of excitement and uh, people are on the street, you know, you know, there's uh, riots. I mean, it's chaos. Uh, however, in that chaos, I, God also did his work. Basically, uh, what I've heard is the, in 1990, uh, when mission organization came, there was only four identified Mongolian Christian by 1990 and 91. And then uh, from four Christian, now, you know, uh, our population probably touched about 3% believers, still very small uh, number compared with other regions, but, uh, you know, grown significantly, you know, for, for 40 to 50,000 believers now. And uh, God certainly is doing something uh, in that part of the world. And um, I'm just so glad to be at the front line of it and get to uh, witness that, but also be part of it. That's really cool. And and what makes your work in Mongolia unique? Like, how is Christianity in Mongolia unique? What are the, some of the unique challenges you guys face working in that culture in that context? I think uniqueness. You know, um, when it comes to like, I traveled around the world and seen other countries and seen um, you know. Uh, other, you know, uh, worldviews. And probably what makes our country, uh, uh, Christianity, they're unique is just because, uh, uh, connect to the previous conversation, the previous story I shared, it's 30 years ago, you know, we we didn't have any modern day gospel and didn't have Christianity. And now, you know, there's a vibrant growth of young people. And imagine when gospel, like uh, from, you know, what communism did is like, created huge fear and distrust between the East and the West Mm -hmm. or whichever, you know, from anything from the West is bad. So when country opened up, you know, when gospel came in, uh, our parents' generation was driven by fear, uh, mistrust, and they didn't want to do anything with it. And however, the people responded to them were all teenagers. You know, I was 14 years old when I heard about gospel. So, um, the first generation literally responded to that were all teenagers and college students. So what does that to do with, you know, Christianity in Mongolia is that this young, vibrant, and uh, 70% of people go to church under 35 years old, Wow! you know, which is opposite of basically what we are here experiencing in America. In America, we're struggling to get millennial and Gen Z to the church. But you go to Mongolia, entire church is millennial and Gen Z. So I think that perspective is just makes it very unique. However, you know, um, it is also a culture that is not uh, um, impacted by, you know, Judea Christianity in the past. For a long time, it was shamanism was our, you know, old, you know, I guess more ancestral religion. And then in all the way until 15th, 16th century, we had some Christianity in early days in Mongolian Empire, Genghis Khan days, but it declined quite a bit. And then really Buddhism took place. So Mongolian as a country, Tibetan Buddhism is the largest religion uh, uh, and there's even our parent generation, pretty much everybody is nominal, somehow, somewhat nominal Tibetan Buddhist. And then our holidays, you know, tradition, customs are related with Tibetan Buddhism. So somehow people could not differentiate between religion and culture. 
And they think it's if you're born into a Mongolian culture, you are part of Tibetan Buddhism. But young people are saying a different voice and have a different opinion about that. And then, so as a Christianity come into an, an uh, in a way, kind of hostile environment like that, in a way that a foreign you know, environment like that, it is, it is quite a bit of challenge uh, in order to witness, in order to create cultural transformation, in order to basically uh, even have your own uh, root, you know, contextualization, your own theology, and even influence in a society, all of that, I think uh, there's quite a bit of challenge and long, a long way to go as a, a young Christian church. Yeah, man, that's, that's a unique... That's definitely unique, especially compared to the context and culture in which I was brought up. That's right. Um, That's right. With people coming to Christ in Mongolia being so young, what have you learned and maybe what are some of the insights you can share working with people 30, 35 and under? And what can can you share with ministry leaders about reaching that that young of a people group so effectively? Yeah. Um, I love young people, um, you know, because I came to Christ when I was a teenager, uh, not only because of my personal experience, my wife came to Christ when she was 12, and um, just everybody I met back home uh, became a believer when they were pretty the first generation. They all came to Christ when they were young. There's certain nature about young people, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're more curious and also uh their worldview and value is not formed yet. Uh, so basically, they're uh, uh, like a white paper. They're open to be molded and open to be shaped. Um, they like to take risks and try new things, uh, which is very different than... It's not that old people don't learn. I learned over the time. Actually, old people learn too. Young people learn. But old people have much larger, deeper comfort zone than young people. So we're stuck in a comfort zone, and that's why we our ability to change and learning uh, started decrease. But young people doesn't have that comfort zone formed yet. Mm. So whatever outside influence come to them, uh, it's very significant. However, also I think it, it's you know if I look at it in Mongolia or here, uh, it's similarity. Uh, young people are looking for significant relationships in their life. Uh, it's a generation around the world, you know, grew up with divorced parents, absence dead. There's so many brokenness that young people experience at their homes. These are homes are, uh, you know, Christian homes or some are not, you know, atheist homes and secular homes and Buddhist homes. They grew up experiencing a lot of that. So there's a lot of hurt and uh, they are looking for People love on them, value them, and look at their, you know, purpose. And they're looking for people to basically kind of look at them differently. I think, you know, um, if in order to work with young people, uh, it's really, really significant that we have to relationally connect with them uh, to understand where they're coming from and love on them and uh, be a safe relationship around them. I think that's has been the, uh, a reason that I've seen a lot of young people open to Christians, uh, but also open to gospel. Uh, but also the young generation, I think, particularly the Gen Z, you know, in the past, I when I grew up in Mongolia, like 
you know, I had my first Coca-Cola when I was 17, you know. And we didn't grow up with much in the West. And the gap between me and, uh, uh, you know, probably you and I are similar age, you know, in the late 30s and early 40s. We are like, have some gap. But my dad and your dad's gap is, like, tremendous. It's, like, literally we're talking about 70 years gap. Our gap is probably, like, 10, 15 years. But then our children's generation, the gap is much, much smaller because they're a global generation. They grew up watching YouTube. They grew up internet. They grew up from young age. They're watching anything from Disney. So, uh, you know, there's, there's some similarities even back home, the young people in here nowadays, especially the younger Gen Z we work with. They are more informed generation. They are more, um, um, what you call skeptical generation as well. And they are more authentic in some way. They are asking more cost-driven questions. Why should I be here? What should I do? These kind of things rather than just follow the crowd. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's interesting. The upbringing that like my own kids are, are being brought up in as opposed to mine, as opposed to my parents or, or I'm sure your experience has been similar. How has it how has digital had an impact on your ministry? If you're working with primarily and around a younger generation, what does what does digital look like for you guys? Yeah, uh, back in 2000, uh, probably around 17, when we first started our ministry, we started asking this question: So, where we position ourselves to? have the greatest influence. And of course, you know, uh, young people, millennial and Gen Z came to our mind. And uh, as we study their social behaviors, where do they spend time? Uh, how do they get, you know, access to information, learning, community? We all found out that, you know, everywhere around the world is becoming the same. Uh, they are spending time on their phone. They are relating people through their device, through internet, through social community and social media. So what does that mean to us as a ministry is that if we want to influence them, you know, physical location and all of that is needed. However, we have to have some sort of uh, a social media presence. If we don't, you know, we don't know, how, we can't, we can't speak to them. We can't, you know, relate to them. So digital wise, you know, uh, fast forward, we've done two mobile applications and then also we have huge social media presence in Mongolia. Our social media probably touches, you know, quarter million to have about half million people every week wow. uh, through multiple channels. And uh, so we got to learn quite a bit in this process. And uh, amazingly, the people who were able to execute this in my team, they're, they're 20-something. They're not even 25 years old yet. These kind of people understand the native language, basically the digital language of their peers, and they think of the world very differently. They think of the world in our generation, older generations, like I have to move there, be prepared 10 years later, you know, be a missionary, then impact them. These generations doesn't think it that way. They think of it like, how do I impact that person from my living room? You know, that's where the global yeah. connectivity, the war shrank, you know, what they call about the work world is becoming flat. And all of that is basically uh, becoming possible through um, digital impact. Mm. Yeah, I just think about my own little kids growing up 
with the technology and access access to digital that they've had. And we try to be careful, you know, obviously to have limitations on that. But I mean, my two-year-old, when she was one, was swiping left and right and, you know, trying to look at different images and trying to scroll up to open up the phone. I mean, she knew it's just intuitive. It's crazy to, to see at such a young age how how quickly they pick it up. Oh so yeah. These younger generations that are growing up around this stuff are are taking to it so much quicker than my generation and older. Um, That's right. It's crazy. I mean, just like I don't think it's it's much different. You know, um, you you remember back in the days, people use uh, uh, television or right. you know use radio. It's just now the the media become differently, and this generation understand it completely different. It's actually more decentralized, and the power is in the hands of people who literally have a device, have a headset and microphone. They can start doing stuff, you know, at their home. And yeah. which in the past, you know, is impossible to dream about. We have to set up a radio station, to set up a TV station, have expensive equipment, you know. So it's yeah. just the way they understand that and the accessibility benchmark of entering this become so different. Yeah, the the um, the access that you have in, with this little tiny device in your pocket to be able to reach a gigantic audience with with nothing more than that device is incredible. The, That's right. The power That's of right. it is very dangerous, but incredibly useful. Right? That's right. If we use it wisely, if we have a redemptive approach to it, I think you know uh, we have a great, uh, huge room to play. Yeah. And um, you know, I've seen ministry who succeeded on that, and uh, I've seen a lot don't know how to use it at all. Yeah. What are the, some of the challenges that you guys have experienced in digital? Uh, digital world is a um, uh, it's a different world. Um, sometimes you know meaning, significance, uh, the depths of relationship. These are things that you know it's it's delusional. Sometimes you know it's cool that you talk about I'm reaching half million people, but can people have the capacity? Can I or can my team have the capacity have significant relationship with half million people? No, of course not. We can't. Uh, so that that the basically the challenge comes on to like the the whites and depths of the uh, uh, impact. How do we have the mile wide kind of influence? However, where the depths come in? What are some significant relationships we can cultivate from here? And then. Um, and also staff and volunteers who work on this social media content. You know, if they spend too much time on it, yeah, it is It is difficult. It's about another, am I getting a lot of likes? Am I getting, you know, collected more, uh, uh, you know, social media affirmations? Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's also not healthy either. So uh, we use this tool to impact people, but as a team, as a person who is driving this, we have to also have a redemptive understanding of the risk of this ministry and also challenge of this digital world. Does this yeah. impact our egos? Does this impact, you know, who we are, our identity? How we, what are we doing through this? Am I trying to build my ego and fame or am I trying to use leverage to, to serve others? You know, what are, what are, what is the fine line balances 
you know. So all of this is kind of uh, challenges. And then my team members actually expressed this several times. You know, there's moments they week after the week they're putting out good content and they feel like emptiness. You know, mm. and as a leader, I have to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's one of the struggles I I have heard and run into a lot with with digitally focused organizations is there is incredible opportunities to engage with people online, right? And and it can e- it can be easy to get a widespread um, audience or attention engagement with whatever you're doing with your organization or ministry or work. Um, but one of the similarities across a lot of these organizations and a lot of their work is, yeah, they've got the, the service level engagement. There's people l- learning about their content, but taking that and turning it into real disciple making opportunities is, is always the hard part. That's, that's the barrier that's difficult to get over. So have you guys had success taking digital engagement and turning it into real life disciple making opportunities? Uh, yes and no, because uh, 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 the digital engagement is so broad. You know, you don't know everybody. If you're rich in half a million people, you don't know who they are, where they are. Me kind of have the data, but really don't know who they are in some way, unless, you know, we meet up with them. So we look at it almost like a, a um, triangle kind of pyramid shape. The digital impact, it's only on the, you know, the bottom, the mass uh, um mass media and a mass population. It has to be had the, you know, kind of segmentation of audience. And then uh, the middle layer is basically our uh, large events. And we have conferences, training, and then community, virtual community we invite people into. And those are the places I think we get to know them. We get to know uh, it's just not just a content. It's actually there's a chance of relationship building. They come to our next-gen conference, 116 conference, or Unleashed Summit, or they come to, you know, our Ethic Conference. And we've done a lot of events, you know, through, throughout the years. So they get to see young guys, you know, they come to these kind of event and webinar and conferences, and they get to meet our team for the first time. Oh, you guys are the guys behind this initiative. Oh, I've been following your social media. Oh, now I put in the face like, oh, you're the one putting this. Okay. So they get to know us. But then from there, you know, we have more uh, targeted uh, trainings. For instance, we have when it comes to discipleship training, our uh, more depth training is uh, entrepreneurship training. Uh, we go through entrepreneurs like, you know, nine weeks to, you know, 12 weeks, different level of entrepreneurship training. Uh, even our step coding, they actually go through like uh, um, a few months of coding program. So then they become consistently involved with believers who are coaches, who are facilitators, training them. They get to spend time with them. So that's when the real uh, I would say more significant discipleship making process going to happen. And we intentionally want them to always have place uh, they can go to. Uh, so social media is always uh, kind of channeling them toward there. But, you know, in the end of the day, those life on life, uh, more time consuming, more relational related trainings are the places we want to point people towards. Gotcha. So it's like a upside down 
uh, uh, upside down funnel where that's right. Excuse me. Your digital engagement is up at the top. You've got large events, trainings, community midway down the funnel. And at the end, you've got your entrepreneurial training, your coding training, more significant in-depth decision-making opportunities. Cool. That's right. Those are all done in small groups or smaller teams, you know. So ended up, they're not only touched by an individual coach or someone who's spiritually mature, who get to speak into their lives through teaching skills or teaching work and faith or through, through teaching technology or whatever that past is going through. But they also have cohorts. So they have friends that form a lifelong friendship around them. And what we found out that actually the cohorts, whoever, whatever they go through, uh, they become significant friends in their life for a long time. Oh, cool. So I, everything is centered around some type of business, whether it's entrepreneurial training or or coding training. Everything has a, a business bent, and then that allows opportunity for relationship building to take something a relationship to a deeper, more spiritual level. Yeah, that's that's an area that uh, we specialize on because of our Entrepreneurship Academy, Step Coding Academy, uh, also through our Mercy work and uh, Next Gen and so on. But then when it comes to day-to-day regular discipleship, we, we believe local church has the biggest room to play in this. And uh, so our partner churches, you know, we sometimes we refer people to partner churches, we refer people to like-minded churches and uh, networks that work with us, like student, like Camps Crusade or University, Mongolia chapter, you know, we work with them closely. We do events together sometimes. So we ended up, if they're a college student, we will refer them to on-campus fellowship. Uh, so there's only thing as a parachurch ministry, a small team, you know, there's only certain things we can do good at and right. many things we, we aren't able to do. And that's why I think all ministry exists. Uh, we're not competing. We're really, you know, complementing each other and do what we could best at and uh, allow others to do what they're best at. That's awesome. I love that partnership model. Mm-hmm. Um, what disciple-making strategies are you guys using? I think general philosophy uh, uh, we kind of follow is basically life on life and communal accountability and live out kind of authentic lives uh, uh, with with each other. And uh, particularly, we are from a um, you know very collective culture. Uh, Mongolian culture is a high honor and shame culture. Uh, also, you know we are you know hierarchy kind of. A collective culture in our culture sometimes you know in, a, in the west people talk about one-on-one discipleship uh in our culture that only works partially uh but i think it works more when it's have a community around them it's almost like a small group around people uh then it's not just a knowledge uh thing anymore it become People learn and they get to apply it together. When they apply their support system, there's accountabilities and people watching them and people cheering for each other and people get to really experience each other's win and uh, celebrate those transformation. And uh, I think, you know, that's whatever we do in our academy or entrepreneurship journey, whatever we do, we try to kind of follow that philosophy of discipleship. And also uh, we believe, you know, um, only, you know, in the end of the day, you know, uh, it's it's not about just knowledge. It's about application of what we learned 
through Bible and through principles in life and through uh, um, 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 basically wisdom. Those are things that only grow when there's experience and there's people around you. Yeah. That's awesome. I want to transition a little bit to make sure we have enough time, but what are some of the ways that you guys are storytelling and how has story played a role in your ministry when working with a, a storytelling culture? Hmm. That's a, we have a quite a bit of gap when it comes to storytelling. So when it comes to our, our, our original culture, you know, we're, Mongolian culture came out of nomadic culture. So what nomadic culture did to us for many years is uh, people are basically passing along messages through storytelling. And uh, nomads will move around and people come from the next town or city, come to their house. They will, First thing they ask them besides, you know, greeting and, you know, asking how's your family and how's your livestock doing. And typically they ask what's new. What's, what's happening in your part of the world? Tell me about it. So that's how people get to know what's going on around uh, other part of the world. And um, and I see that is still true and still relevant among our older generation. Uh, because, you know, when we were young, especially when I was a college student, I used to travel a lot and go to countryside and use storytelling method to share good news and share Bible stories to young people and stories. Uh, to, to the nomad homes, and they're very keen to hear about this. And then that's always one of the best way uh, to share good news. Um, however, on the other end, you have this younger generation that we work with. They're, they're, they're looking for stories, too. They're not looking for just data and uh, a performance. They're looking for authentic stories, stories of people just like them, you know, imperfect but living out their own, they have dreams and hopes. Uh, they have failures and they have struggles, but they're looking for meaning of life and they're, you know, finding uh, purpose in their life. Those kinds of things are all, in the end of the day, these kind of things really inspire people. It's not edited version, it's not the fake ones. And then young people through either social media or through gatherings, we always hear young people love to hear about testimonies, testimony of a person of change, testimony of a person who, who uh, encounter God or a person who really kind of experiencing something different. Uh, they would love to hear it. So I think, you know, uh, we we still have a lot of room to grow and uh, still uh, trying to learn what's the best way uh, to capture this and how do we as an organization uh, to do storytelling better in our own context. Yeah, how how does and how does that play out in in digital? Like, what are you guys doing with storytelling and, and the digital space that you're playing in? Yeah, digital space. I uh, one of the most I, uh, success, I guess, story I can think of right now is um, you know, I used to have a, a young guy work for me. He uh, he left our organization. He's quite creative when it comes to storytelling method on, on uh, digital world. Uh, so he th- he basically kind of guided us and helped us started our social media kind of outreach and all, all of that. He basically thinks, yeah, young people. What is their attention uh, spam? And then how long, what kind of things they're looking for? And then he basically came up with a strategy, a plan, said, hey, um, how about let's do Monday inspirational, Wednesday, Wednesday wisdom, Friday freedom. So all of this, you know, kind of theme 
these kind of social media uh, uh, either posts or short videos all developed around kind of these uh, um, um, subject, basically inspiring people, teaching people about wisdom, and also people help people to understand the story about freedom. Short videos and uh, these uh, social media things gone really well. Gone, some of them gone really wild. You know, we we have a short video, a couple short video, literally gone up to you know seven hundred fifty thousand people to a million people watched it. If you look at our population, you know, Mongolian-speaking people, you know, because all of them done in the Mongolian language. If you, if you watch it, then it has to be Mongolian. So uh, when we have 10 million people all around the world, you know, in a country of Mongolia, there's only 3 million. You know, if you can reach 1 million, that's a lot of people watch their video. Yeah, uh, partially, a lot of these videos, if we look into it, it's, it is typically video tells about a story. It's always story videos touches most people's heart and people willing to share too. Mm. That's incredible. Yeah, it's, I mean, it sounds like you guys are doing something right in the digital space to have that kind of following and engagement. And um, man, that's a that's a big percentage of of the population to be consuming a piece of content. Oh yeah, interesting. Um. Can you guys can you share a story of transformation that you've experienced recently? Yeah, um, and I have uh, several stories. I just just uh, humbled, but also my favorite stories to share. But out of that, out of all these stories, probably one of them you always like stood out, and it's dear and dear to my own heart. It's a story about a, a, a young dancer, a break dancer a guy named Togo. And uh, Togo, when I met him back in 2016, uh, he was a um, brick dancer. Life has fallen apart. His wife, his life partner left him with his son. And then his, his in a kind of like valley of his life. And not knowing that, I got to build relationship with him, speak into his life. We became really close and um and then I found out that he's actually a celebrity in Mongolia, you know, because two years before that he won Mongolia got talent uh, finale as a, oh, wow. as a break dancer. So it's almost like, you know, Mongolia got talent show is almost like America got talent is one of the most watched show in the entire country. You know, everybody watch it with someone who win it and typically you become a household name and so on. Anyway, uh, so this young guy is uh, quite a unique guy. I got to spend time with him. You know, uh, we used to talk like every two weeks and every month. And uh, he got to come visit me in America several times. And we got to travel quite a bit. I visited him many times. And um, he had a, a passion uh, uh, about basically one of the things I admire about Togo is that he not only have a passion uh, for himself and uh, what he does, but he has a passion for others. So I think that's a really good quality to have. And I, I challenged him, what would you do about that passion of yours? And he said, you know, I, I would love to teach people dancing, young people dancing, through dancing to find a purpose of life. And then he did, you know, back in 2018, he started a dance studio called 116 Studio. And uh, it, it, it's every evening there's, you know, 60, 70 young people, teenagers will show up 
directly from class. They will finish their school and show up to their uh, studio, and they will dance together, and they will you know eat meals together, play games together. Someone will stand up, share their story and about God and their testimony, and then they they're because they're all Gen Z. There's so much activity on Instagram and story and all of that. They use that platform so well and to promote themselves. And so young people basically kind of see what's happening, not only on social media, they want to be part of that because they don't want to be left alone, uh, left behind. And they, they come join this group. And that's where they've done a lot of things. And then uh, the coolest thing is fast forward, uh, 2019, uh, they actually uh, – Togo decided to coach these young people, said, hey, I want them to experience uh, uh, the greatest joy of being part of Mongolia Got Talent Show. So he picked, handpicked 12 young people in their team and trained for like a couple months and then uh, went to Mongolia Got Talent like season, I forgot, eight or something. And then uh, uh, these young people went on and <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty wild journey and uh, they got, got on the stage and they won every round and got all the way to uh, from 16 all the way to getting to number uh, final eight, they actually got rejected. And here's the even funny part. When they got rejected of the show, the following day, they actually got so many phone calls like hotline, their grandma calling, public school teacher calling, teenager calling the TV show and asking, hey, uh, I don't know, you know, there's all these kids who are on the show, they're talented. But let me tell you, you know, the 116 kid, uh, you guys rejected, they love each other more than anybody does on the show. And we want them to come back. And can you give them another chance? So any of the show basically brought this 116 studio kids back as a wild card. That never happened in the Mongolia town history. And they won the third place as a finale. Um so every round, when they get the next round, when they win, pass, they will chant on the stage, one one six, one one six, one one six, And then in Mongolian language, one one six literally doesn't have any meaning. It's random numbers. So guess what? During 2019, during Christmas time, this whole show lasted about two weeks. In two weeks window, one one six was number one searched word in Mongolia on Google search engine and also on social media. Is the most trending word, and people are searching what it is. When they type out, it came out Roman one sixteen. It says, wow. "I am not ashamed of gospel." That's pretty cool. Yeah, so this is a story. Uh, you know, I I just love to share, but I also get to see it because these young people who uh, used art and media, they used their storytelling uh, power and uh, influence to touch a generation. And uh, now the whole 116 is like a movement and uh, we got to support them, we got to work with them. And um, there's, I think it's like 5,000 to 6,000 youths right now in Mongolia actually changed their Instagram name into uh, Zach, Zach 116, Ballerhu, Ballerhu 116. It's literally a movement right now. That's awesome. That's yeah. really cool. Well, thank you for sharing that story, Ballerhu. Oh, thank you. All right. Well, this has been incredible. Um, I really appreciate you being on the show. Can I pray for you and your ministry? Yes, please. 
Father, I just lift up Ballerhu and ask that you would continue to bless and guide and lead this ministry. Um, pray for Asia Leadership Development Network, that you would grow it and give uh, Ballerhu and his team guidance and direction and, and clarity and um, just uh, make his paths and this ministry's paths next steps clear, Father. They're doing so much and, and have their hands in all kinds of different things. And so I pray that you would just give clarity as they grow the ministry and um, follow after you and and um, accept the invitation to be a part of what you're doing, Jesus. We thank you so much for the invitation in all of our lives to, to get to be a part of what you're doing for the redemption of humanity and in all the fun and creative ways that um, that people are doing and doing that and answering that call, Father. Um, mm. Just pray for Mongolia that um, that it would be a people that would just continue to turn to you, that um, there would be a movement in, in that people group that would just say yes to your name, Father, as Lord and Savior and King. Um, and I pray that Balarhu and his team would be good to get, get to be a part of that movement. Lord, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Zach. Yeah, if people want to get a hold of you or want to learn more about what you're doing with Asia Leadership Development Network, how can they do so? Yeah, they can find us on uh, our website, asialeadershipdevelopment.org or alishatwork.org. So these are two organizations. One is you know registered here in America. One is registered in Mongolia because of the branding issues. We have to do certain things separately. Uh, and also, you can reach out to me on my uh, 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 email. It's uh, B-A-O-L-E-R-H-U at asialeadershipdevelopment.org. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much, Balarhu, for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.